Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127. Welcome to Progress After Dark. We have a lot to get to tonight. I am so glad you are with us. Our executive producer is the great Chris Hauselt. He runs this monster out of South Carolina. Every now and then he jumps on the air and involves himself, and that's part of his parole. We appreciate it. Uh, our producer out of Brooklyn is the great Thea Harper. Every now and then, if we're really lucky, she joins us. And uh, you can always hear her do the Minority Report on this show. Uh, right now, tonight, we are very pleased to welcome back for the first time this year our Native Voices segment with Julie Franchella and Simon Moyes-Smith. Uh, we finally got them to start doing a regular bi-weekly segment last year. It got so popular, we went to weekly, and we are so thrilled. I, I, they told us we are the only show on all of national radio to have a weekly First Nation segment. And a lot of rock stars have been promoting it, too. So right on. Welcome back, Simon and Julie. We're also going to be talking with a gentleman named Ken Block. If that name sounds familiar to you, let me tell you why. After Donald Trump lost the 2020 election, his campaign hired Ken Block's company to find proof of voter fraud. They paid him a lot of money. Uh, Ken Block's organization found no fraud. And then things got weird. Drama ensued. You may have seen him lately on Making the Rounds and all the cable news shows. He has a dynamite op-ed in USA Today about what happened when they couldn't find any fraud and how Donald Trump called them liars. Because they couldn't prove his lies. He joins us tonight, uh, later on in this hour. And of course, we are doing a big live show in California on the 20th of this month. Hey, that's that's coming up in like, uh, what, nine or ten days? Come on down. One year to the day before a new president or is sworn in, or Joe Biden is sworn in a second term. The Sexy Liberal Tour will be hitting the Herbs Theater in San Francisco. We would love to have you there. It's going to be a big party. Hal Sparks, Frangela, Stephanie Miller, and I will be on hand to give you all the deeply inappropriate laughs and groping you need to get through the next ugly 11 months here. In the meantime, we got a lot to cover tonight. Uh, you may have already heard New York Mayor Eric Adams, the first New York City mayor to serve on an outpatient basis, is uh, taking his battle with Texas Governor Greg Abbott to court, suing 17 bus companies for their role in the whole migrant busing scheme to the tune of $700 million. This will also help lots of people. Uh, scientists at the University of Maryland claim to have finally figured out why urine is yellow, a microbial enzyme in our gut biome. I could have told you that Florida's COVID denier Surgeon General is asking doctors in the state to stop offering COVID vaccines, charging the CDC with misinformation about the life saving concoction and the Islamic State just claimed credit for a series of bombings in Iran that killed 95 and injured dozens outside the tomb of their military leader, Qasim Soleimani. So right now, however, let's come in a little closer. Let's let's talk a little bit about this story you're going to be hearing a lot about over the next few weeks, Republicans and their impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. They've been trying to tie him to international business deals by his son, Hunter Biden. Have you heard about this? It's got a little bit of news. Maybe it didn't make it out there to where you live, but Republicans really, really care about you and they care about you so much. They're spending a lot of your tax dollars to investigate Hunter Biden because they want to prove that somehow there was some kind of corruption or influence peddling so far. They haven't shown that Joe Biden made any money as president. They're not even trying to do that. They're trying to show that Joe Biden made money as vice president. And that's why he should be impeached from being president. And you see, you can't make money from foreign countries if you're a president or a vice president because of this thing in our Constitution. 
We talk about it a lot here. You probably know about it, too. The emoluments clause, which is a, you know, pretty elegant sounding phrase that essentially bars the president from, you know, being on the payroll of a foreign country. Let me quote it. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without consent of Congress, accept of any present emolument office or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. Emoluments is a very fancy, elegant word we have to say bribery. You might remember President Jimmy Carter put his peanut farm in a receivership because he didn't want it to appear to be dishonest or corrupt in some way. It was the generational family farm he inherited, and he gave it up to not appear like he could be taking money from anyone. When Barack Obama was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, he would not take the $1.4 million because he did not want to be seen taking money from anyone, especially a foreign source. Now, Democrats, as you guys know, for years have tried to go through uh, Donald Trump's business records. And after a few court rulings, Mazars, remember that scandal that they were the accounting firm for Trump for many years? They finally cut ties with him and all of his family businesses. This was about 400 scandals ago. And in 2022, Mazars began turning over documents related to Donald Trump's financial dealings. Mazars said they could no longer stand behind a decade of annual financial statements they had prepared for the Trump organization once they found out it was all lies. This is why Donald Trump is going through this one trial in New York right now, which he's already been found guilty of. But you see, when Republicans took control of the Congress, they dropped all this and they, they wouldn't force Mazars to bring any more documents in. Now, no president before Donald Trump ever, ever set themselves up to personally get rich from being president. Not really. I mean, there's been corruption here and there, but no president ever failed or refused to turn over their personal tax returns or to reveal their personal business activities. No one ever refused to turn it into a blind trust rather than just personally get rich from being president. Donald Trump, well, he... He brags about it. Listen to this from the campaign stump a couple years back where Donald Trump is boasting about all the money, 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 money China and Saudi Arabia and all other kinds of heroes of democracy give to him. Saudi Arabia and I get along great with all of them. They buy apartments from me. They spend 40 million, 50 million. Am I supposed to dislike them? I like them very much. (laughs) So, So the main thing is, while Trump was president, he profited off people who wanted favors from him. He made money off of people who wanted his favors and stayed in his hotels, including foreign governments. And it was all in the open. I mean, Jared Kushner sold influence. Ivanka did it. Ivanka worked in the White House. She profited. Ivanka got 18 Chinese trademarks while working in the White House. Jared, of course, got $2 billion for his venture capital investment scheme after he left the White House. Donald Trump chose willingly to keep his businesses while he was president and to keep them in such a way that everyone knew that if you put money into his own pockets, you will be in play. Every country knew it. Look who rented the rooms in his hotel. Google it. Look at this heads of state who rented rooms in his hotel. Whole blocks of rooms. An Iraqi sheik rented an entire floor of Trump's D.C. bribe hole hotel. I mean, it's the Trump International Hotel in D.C. But it was all of his hotels. They knew where their money was going. Trump should have put his holdings in a blind trust. He chose not to. He used the White House to get richer. The Saudis, if they didn't want to look like they were bribing Trump, they could have stayed in any other number of great hotels in D.C. And Trump should have told them to do that. But he didn't. They wanted favor from the president. They put money, poured money into his hotels. Donald Trump was paid by our adversaries while he was president, folks. You're going to shut down every right-wing person in your life for the rest of the year. He was bought and paid for by over 20 foreign governments. He illegally and unconstitutionally profited from the presidency during his time in the White House. According to House Democrats, in a very extensive report that was released today, his businesses, according to this report, got at least $7.8 million from corrupt, authoritarian, evil governments, including China, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar, while he was president again. This is, this is how much money he was privately making from foreign governments while he was running ours. Do you understand? This is a clear violation of that constitutional emoluments clause. 
The report is 156 pages long. It's called White House for Sale, How Princes, Prime Ministers, and Premiers Paid Off President Trump. And it draws on these documents that Mazars gave to Congress before the Republicans stopped them. So there's concrete evidence here that Trump was bought and paid for. It's bribery. He was doing exactly what House Republicans have been trying for three years now to prove that Joe Biden was doing while they try to impeach him. We have evidence that Donald Trump did what they can't find evidence of Joe Biden doing foreign governments interacting with him through his businesses while he's president. They paid millions to the Trump International in Vegas, the Trump International in D.C., the Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue here in New York, the Trump World Tower at United Nations Plaza in New York. Foreign payments to these four properties, two in New York, one in D.C., one in Vegas from at least 20 foreign governments or government owned entities including Malaysia, Kosovo, the Congo, Saudi Arabia, China. The, the biggest chunk of it came from China, which spent nearly $5.6 million at Trump Tower in New York and the hotels in D.C. and Vegas. These are documented transactions. And again, it's only the paltry amount that Democrats know about. Over half a million from Saudi Arabia paid directly to your president's properties while he was president. The report says... These payments were made while these governments were promoting specific foreign policy goals with the Trump administration and even at times with President Trump himself. And as they were requesting specific actions from the United States to advance their own national policy objectives, there is no way to overstate how what's the word I'm looking for fucked up. This is how amoral this is, how illegal this is and how indifferent 100 percent of Republicans and 95 percent of American media are about this. The report notes they document only a fraction of Trump's harvest of unlawful foreign state money. So, again, again, this is how he another way he broke his oath to uphold the Constitution. I mean, we're talking about insurrection. No, 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 no. He got almost eight million from 20 foreign governments while he was president money through his hotels. Now, Hunter Biden was paid by foreign companies because he's a private citizen and he worked for them. Donald Trump was paid over seven million from foreign countries while he was president. Do you need help understanding which of those two things is illegal? This is Trump. He's already settled two money laundering cases for millions. He settled the case for his fraudulent foundation for two million, settled 25 million fraud case for his scam university. His organization's been convicted of fraud last year. He's facing 91 felony charges right now in four different states. And he inflated his net worth by two and a half billion. Now, Eric, Donald Trump's most attractive son. Ooh, he's been saying, no, no, they didn't influence my dad's presidency at all. Any profit we earned on the hotel was returned to the federal government through a voluntary annual payment to the Treasury Department. Stupid. That's what Eric's been saying all day. That's the defense. They, they, they made a payment to the Treasury Department, so it's OK. It's not bribery. Guys, the Constitution, which I quoted earlier, prohibits a president from ever accepting money, payments or gifts of any kind, whatever, unless... He obtains the consent of Congress to do so. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Trump didn't seek consent. He's actually not a fan of seeking consent for all kinds of things. The report notes that Trump never went to Congress to say, hey, is it OK that I violate the Constitution and take money from foreign governments? You know, and again, we talked about this while he was president. Here's a clip you might remember a couple years ago of Donald Trump's final attorney general, William Barr, playing dumb about what the emoluments clause is. Listen to this in case you started thinking Bill Barr was kind of a good person again. Here's his testimony before Congress. I have not personally researched the emoluments clause. I, I, I can't even tell you what it says at this point. My, off the top of my head, I would have said, well, emoluments are essentially a stipend attached to some office, but I don't know if that's correct or not, but I'm sure it's, I think it's being litigated right now. I mean, they're just going to play dumb about it and they can play dumb about it because they know Republican voters will never hear this story. Fox News will not cover it. Your racist uncle is never going to know that the Donald Trump who's been scaring him about those Chinese for eight long years was being paid by the Chinese five plus million dollars while he was in the White House. They don't care. The Trump presidency is proof that our Constitution 
is essentially irrelevant if we feel like this timing comes as the GOP is getting closer and closer to having their little Joe Biden cosplay impeachment. Now, James Comer, who's leading that, came out today and said it's beyond parody that Democrats continue their obsession with former President Trump. Former President Trump has legitimate businesses, but the Bidens do not. Our friend Jamie Raskin said. Comer just admitted Trump sold out the American people and violated the Constitution when serving in the White House. Sorry, no comparison. Joe Biden, like every other president but Trump, has scrupulously followed the emoluments clause. Guys, Donald Trump's bribe hole D.C. hotel was a violation of the Constitution's emoluments clause from minute one. He should have been impeached for it immediately following his inaugural address. Like before the sun set on his first day in the White House, he could have been impeached for violating the Constitution. But this is what we have with our right wing friends. If you think Republicans really care about the Constitution, guys, I've got 80 years of illegal wars and a well-regulated militia to sell you. They care about the Constitution like they care about the Bible when it suits their lust for power and only then. Our Constitution says that only Congress can declare war. America has not legally declared war since December of 1941, and yet we have had overseas military conflicts almost every day of my entire life. Constitution talks about a well-regulated militia, but they forget that part. They don't really care about states' rights when it comes to a state like New York wanting to have their own gun safety or other states that want to decriminalize medical weed or other states that want to give women the right to have control of their own body. When that's the case, no, states' rights don't matter. The only bits of the Constitution that right-wing people care about are the provide for the common defense part in the preamble and the second half of the Second Amendment. I'd also wager some of them wouldn't mind if we went back to that three-fifths of a person thing. But again... Again, it, it just like just like the teachings of Jesus, the rest of the Constitution practically doesn't exist for these people. Now, I know Democrats aren't much better when it comes to declaring war, but come on. I mean, the Democrats aren't going around talking all the time about how they're strict originalists. <laughs> if you're a strict originalist, I want to come over and count your slaves. Republicans don't care about the Constitution, and they are proving it to you right now. Talk to your Republican co-workers about this. Talk to your loved ones. Don't look for a fight, but ask them about Donald Trump taking literally millions and millions from our adversaries while he was president. It's bribery. And watch the contortions as they defend it. Now, one more thing. This investigation for this report, it actually was begun under the leadership of uh, the late Congressman Elijah Cummings, who died in 2019. This investigation began in 2016 under under his leadership. And this report is not going to impact Donald Trump's frontrunner status at all. No one's going to care. Oh, he's tough on China. He's tough on China. Well, he took bribes from them. He took millions of dollars in bribes from China. He proved he's the most corrupt politician in American history. And that's all he's done. That and make the rich a lot richer and allowed hundreds of thousands more people to die of COVID than ever should have. And we're also learning now about all the people who've died of hydroxychloroquine too, but that's another story for another day. Look, Donald Trump received money from China. He received money from Saudi Arabia. He received money from other foreign countries. He did it. There's receipts. There's proof. It was illegal. Joe Biden did not. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. And before we get to the break, I just want to play a really quick clip. Um, we were talking a lot this week about the 14th Amendment. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, she came out today and said she wants the Supreme Court to act quickly on that whole 14th Amendment question surrounding Donald Trump's election eligibility. But she's afraid that they're just going to kick the can down the road to a broken Congress. Give a listen. I'm hopeful and very hopeful and, and believe that the U.S. Supreme Court will provide some clarity sooner rather than later. I hope they don't kick it to Congress. I fear they might say this is a decision for Congress to make. Which is the worst possible thing to think of because then it's going to just evolve into politics in terms of factual determination, legal determination. But I, I suspect that may be how it plays out given past precedent and comments they've made in other cases on this sort of area. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress.
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John saying Are you sick of January 6th? I hope you're not, because Joe Biden is going to make January 6th the center of his re-election campaign the same way he used the Charlottesville white nationalist rally in 2020, that it's Trump and it's evil and it threatens democracy. And again, his campaign really seems to understand that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. So they're planning ads built around these two big events we're going to see over the next week. And it should be interesting. Tomorrow, that's Friday, he's going to go to Valley Forge. That Yes, that Valley Forge. And he's going to make clear that uh, the Capitol riot members and Donald Trump's efforts to steal the election are going to be major campaign themes. That speech was scheduled for Saturday, but they moved it up a day because there was bad weather. And then he's going to go to Charleston, South Carolina on Monday to the Mother Emanuel AME Church. That is the black church where a white supremacist Confederate murdered nine Americans in 2015. While Biden is doing this, Donald Trump is going to be playing up January 6th as well. He's calling it a beautiful day, and he is describing the men in jail for trying to steal the government and beating the holy crap out of cops. He's describing them as great, great patriots and hostages. This is what Joe Biden does best. He draws comparisons to the other guy. We're literally going to see Donald Trump on the campaign trail bragging about January 6th and lying about it. And we'll see Biden reminding everybody else about what really happened. And uh, we'll see how much the voters care, won't we? Chris in California on line six. Thank you so much for waiting on hold. You're on Sirius XM. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? Great. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. You know what? I have a few questions about, you know, Republicans' decision-making. Do you think it's like the beer... Because they said recently it just scientifically shrinks your mind. Or do you think they're just really kind of, I don't want to say dumb, but manipulated since childhood to believe in all this Bible stuff? And they well, really uh, well, guys, well, like, well, well, it depends. I mean, we're talking about Republican politicians or Republican voters because they're two very different groups. Oh, I got you. So what do you think about the politicians? Do you think it's just brainwashed as a kid? They go to church? And they just believe that, like, everything non-Christian is the devil. Well, I mean, I think a lot of them do, yeah. I think the fundamentalists do. I mean, look, you know, to me, I I, I don't think... First off, I'm a big fan of Jesus uh, in in the Bible. I'm not a fan of these uh, unauthorized fan clubs of his, because Jesus was a pretty liberal guy. It, by every definition of the word, he was extremely liberal. And what these politicians do is they they use religion to get votes, but they legislate directly against the very liberal teachings this guy Jesus espoused. So, I mean, that's to be expected. I, I think in many cases it is fear, but it's a different kind of fear, right? They use fear to get people to vote for them. They'll say, oh, they're crossing the border or trans kids are going to turn your kid gay or whatever bullshit they're going to do to get people scared. 
because you don't hear Republicans talking about all the policies they want to do to help working people. Right. They just tell you who, who to be afraid of and we'll protect you from them. That's their whole rap. But the actual Republican politicians, I think, are also terrified because they have to play this game. They have to pretend they respect Donald Trump. They can't come out and say that racism and white supremacy are bad, like we saw with Nikki Haley. If you criticize slavery, they're afraid it might cost them some votes. So, I mean, I think you're right. There's a lot of fear on both sides. I I don't blame it on religion. I, I blame it on these people just being brainwashed and groomed their entire life to believe a lot of mean bullshit. If they'd read the Bible, uh, they wouldn't be able to support Trump anymore. Yeah, I don't think anybody reads the Bible, but if you go to these football rallies, all they do is get drunk and scientifically just damage their brain cells. Maybe I'm starting to believe it's so sad. Maybe they can't help themselves. Maybe they just like are brainwashed since they're young, just drink so much and do drugs and kind of just, you know, can't really function. And like Mm -hmm. when they hear something like that, it's just an instant reaction. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they outlaw alcohol again one day and make weed legal, I don't know. Well, I mean, look look what all Joe Biden has done with decriminalizing weed on the federal level and pardoning everybody with a federal conviction. I mean, these are the kind of things that I never thought I'd see happen in my lifetime, but the media doesn't report on it too much. You know, the media is talking about various bullshit, and they're not talking about the actual real corruption. So, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like every election is the same. If there's a high turnout, Democrats win. If there's a low turnout, Republicans win. And I think it's going to be the same this year. Yeah, I believe so. Well, all righty, Dave. Thanks for taking the call, by the way. No, thanks for making the call, man. Don't be a stranger. Come back anytime. Great to have you. Have a good evening. 866-997-4748. Let me go to uh, Rachel in Los Angeles. Hello, Rachel. Thanks for waiting on hold. Hey there, John. Thanks for being there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, I mean, I'm, it's, I think it's really scary that we're to this point where we have to depend on the voters to save us from this evil dictator, criminal. Yeah. But I guess that's what we have to do. I mean, it doesn't seem like yes. the courts really are going to do anything. No so. one else is going to save us. And the courts aren't yeah. saving us. It's it's people using the courts to save us. Yeah. Well, maybe. Um, well, maybe, yeah. Listen, I don't know if you talked about it or not, but that was good what Green Day did on the on their New Year's Eve special. Yeah. But boy, it freaked out a lot right. of people who've never listened to the lyrics of a Green Day song before, though. I mean, American Idiot was all about how awful Bush was, and and then they just changed it to be about MAGA. It's like, guys, it's it's all the same. The same people that were Bush were MAGA. They just pretend they didn't support the Iraq War now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. So that's just leading to why I'm calling, because on that same show was yes. my client, Janelle Monet, oh. wearing a black and white flower cape that nice. I did not make that... Earlier in the month at Art Basel, she wore it, and I saw it, and I was freaking out. And my friend, my like my, my person who gets the stuff from me, was like not in touch with me all night. And then finally in the morning, he was like, "Oh, that's just from her archive. She hates it. It's made out of paper mache. We didn't know about it till two days ago. We love you. We need you. Blah blah blah." And so I went through the month, and I actually because he told me that I believed him. Are you there, John? Am I talking too yeah, long? I'm, no, no. Go oh, ahead. Go you. on, please. Okay. So he told me that I believed him. This is just a funny thing. Like I, one of her friends does a club around the corner from me, and I like went and introduced myself and had like the best time ever. They were totally nice. Like it was like Studio Fifty Four. It was the most fun night. I totally danced <laughs> my ass off with no mask okay. and everything. Totally uh huh. And um, anyway, that's because I thought that they loved me. <laughs> uh, okay. Then cut to now, and I discover after that New Year's thing that she is says it on her page that she designed that. And there's another wow. she did it with a designer guy from like RuPaul's Drag Race, and he's quoted saying, "Oh, she's such a genius to think of these horizontal black and white stripes, roses." Yada-da-da. Wait a second. And so like, she took credit for your design. Yeah, she and on her page it says designed by moi, and it's like in Vogue, and it's in the New York Times. This is Janelle Monet is actually taking credit for your work. Yeah, and this Miss Original Artist supposed to be right. This breaks my heart because I'm going to marry her someday, and now she's dead to me. This breaks my heart. <laughs> and so it's just sort of like think. I mean, you're the guy who like talks me off the ledges or whatever. It's just sort of like first. It's, First, my cat, and it's been the worst Mercury retrograde. That's I'm totally, so sorry. You know, we're going out of it. That's like your thing that just happened to you guys technically right now, probably. Yeah, I understand. Well, listen, here's my advice to you. <laughs> Try to reach out through any back channels to get word to her people about it, but don't don't let yourself be the crazy person on the internet screaming and waging war against Janelle Monet. 
Okay, it's tacky. If this if this whole story as you lay it out is true, it's tacky. It's unfortunate. It's awful. Don't let it break you. Focus well, on I'm your not work. Break me, but like I have friends. Like one of my, I have a mentor, a lady in fashion, who knows, who's very like strong and fabulous and mm-hmm. famous and successful. And she was like, "You cannot let people steal your ideas. You have to stand up for yourself." I'm not going to be the freak out. I'm not going to be a lunatic. Yeah, but I can't allow that to happen either. You know what I mean? Like I can't. It's a sticky situation. Like I've already, and she wrote on my page, "What's up? Why? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you credit her? Why wouldn't you correct the press? Why, blah blah okay. blah." She wrote a thing on my page, and okay. the, the stylist promptly, you know, Janelle didn't, but the stylist blocked me. I don't care. I'm really um, sorry this happened, Rachel. It sucks. I'm so but, sorry. Well, I love your designs. I think your work is great. Tell everybody where they can go to see your stuff, and uh, we will we will let lead a boycott and destroy Janelle Monet creatively and financially. www.janellemonet.com. But if you look at the post at Flower Girl TV, that's me, Rachel London. Mm-hmm. Um, Flower Girl TV. If you look at the post, like you'll see how uncanny it is. Like she was literally just wearing a top of mine that looks exactly like the cape. Oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry. One of these days in person, when I'm not on the air, I'll tell you all the famous comedians who've ripped off my jokes over the years. I know how it feels. I'm so sorry. Yeah, thank you, honey. No worries. Keep keep your head up. (laughs) Keep doing the work. Just keep your designs are beautiful. Keep doing the work. That's what you're here for. All right. Thank you. 866-997-4748. One more call before our break, and then we get to Simon and Julie. Ron in Kentucky, thank you so much for your patience. You're on progress. Hey, John. I'm one of your day walkers. I figured Hello. I'd give you a call while I had a chance. Hello. Appreciate it. Hi. Appreciate it. Hello. So, Schittler is just completely plagiarizing Mein Kampf. Mein Kampf and <laughs> why isn't the news on that 100% all They're the on time? They're on it. They were on it last week. No one cared. They were on it, and the people who cared, cared, and we've moved on. I mean, if he does it more, we'll report on it more. But, I mean, he's literally, I've I've read so many excerpts of Mein Kampf in the last two weeks to really make sure that he really is doing this. And there's too much for it to be a coincidence. And uh, Ivana saying that he had it on his bedstand and people aren't freaking the fuck out about that. I mean, we've known this for 30 years. We've known this for 30 years. And and yeah, people didn't care. He berated our generals and talked about how great the German generals were. Like, people don't care. They just don't. I mean, he's he's been taking money from the Chinese government while telling people to hate China. Like, they don't care. He screams about illegal immigrants, but he's been hiring them since the 80s. He had him working at Bedminster in 2018 while he was president. They don't care. He says Joe Biden's taking money from foreign governments, and there's no evidence of it, but we find out he took at least $7 million. His fans don't care. They're beyond reason, they're beyond morality, and they're beyond fact. And a two billion from to Kushner too. I mean that yeah. that's beyond the pale on its public record. I mean, when you're an advisor to this Saudi prince who slaughtered an American journalist and you're begging the murdering Saudi prince to not invest in Jared Kushner's venture capital enterprise. Like, how bad is it that they're begging you, a murderer, to not waste your money on this guy? I mean, they all deserve each other. But this is why you got to stay really healthy, because everyone deserves to be alive for Trump's funeral and you deserve to be alive for all the truth that comes out after he's gone. John, sometimes you're the only thing for keeping me from being black-pilled, and I really appreciate it. Oh, hey, well, let's just leave the fight for justice for, uh, for against Janelle Monet for stealing designs, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> I don't no even worries. know who that is, but I uh, That's you, okay. Buddy, well, you have, you have a lot. Oh, you'll, you'll enjoy that last album then. Okay, we got to hit a break. Simon and Julie are in the Zoom room, and I have waited so long to get them back on the show. We'll be back in just a moment. This is SiriusXM. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. 
Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. This is SiriusXM. I'm John Fugelsang. Simon Moyes-Smith's an Oglala Lakota and Chicano journalist. He's a contributing writer at NBC News, and you can read his thoughts on issues at the intersection of his heritage and modern politics. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Your Spirit Animal is a Jackass, and recently profiled Paulina Alexis of the Peabody Award-winning FX series Reservation Dogs for the Cut. Julie Franchella is an activist, an artist, a writer, and a veteran mental health professional with over 28 years of experience in the clinical field working with complex trauma. Julie has worked as the executive director of a domestic violence center and as a clinical caseworker for 13 years at a residential treatment center for indigenous youth and families. She's an enrolled member of the Ojibwe, a Batchawana First Nation Reserve, and she currently works with First Nations University of Canada. Simon and Julie, welcome back. Happy New Year. It's so good to have you both back on the show. Happy New Year. Thanks yeah, for having us back. Thank you. And um, happy uh, happy election year as well. I've been looking forward to this mm-hmm. because, you know, we don't really hear a lot about candidates who are trying to win the native vote. Doesn't come up too much. Uh, Joe Biden has amassed a, a more impressive record, I guess, than most presidents I can think of in my lifetime. But I wanted to begin tonight by talking about election year and what it means to you guys. And, you know, how do your friends in the First Nations community uh, regard voting. I would imagine that um, some would, like every other group, some people probably find it very important and some might have a good reason to be cynical about it. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, Native Americans were not even granted U.S. citizenship until 1924. And even after the Indian Citizenship Act, many states found ways to disenfranchise Native, Native American voters. So it wasn't until the Voting Rights Act of 1965, that legal barriers at the state level were broadly dismantled, yet challenges persist like um, voter ID laws, lack of polling places on reservations continue to impact Native American voter turnout. And I have uh, friends sort of on both sides, a lot of um, Indigenous people that I know talk about it, you know, not being seen and so not really feeling like voting would make a difference. But I also have right. friends who think differently and are really active in uh, wanting to, to be able to get out there to vote. So, you know, it, it kind of runs, you know, on both sides there. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I only recently found out that in Maine, you weren't allowed to vote on reservation land until 1955. It's just incredible that so often throughout history, and it's usually with low income people or non-white people, I mean, consistently, our government finds a way to, if not ban voting, to make it as inconvenient as humanly possible. Simon, I'm, I'm curious how yeah. you're feeling about this upcoming election year and, and you know, how it feels to be a First Nations citizen in a political world where no one's really competing for the First Nations vote. No, they, they rarely ever do. Again, we're the smallest racial minority in our ancestral land. But, you know, we clearly can be a pivotal swing demographic in certain states, right? And in certain elections. But yeah, we are canceled out of the conversation when it comes to voting and the election. And then, you know, we hear these presidential candidates year and, you know, every, you know, election season, and we're excluded from that diversity list. I've mentioned this to you before. It's black, Latino, white, Asian, and then other or something else. That's right. That's so right. we're very rarely even considered as citizens participating in uh, elections. So that's why you also find a lot of indigenous people just saying, fuck it, man, they don't see us, they don't care. We're not included in in these speeches, especially when it has to do with inequality or, or, or racism or anything. We're not included in that. So it really does impact how indigenous people see voting. Yes, it's important. I'm a big believer in local politics, but presidential, we have to remember, uh, before Joe Biden is, uh, quote unquote, my president, I have a president on my reservation. 
That's right. He's my first president. So when somebody says, who's your president? And then I'll just tell them who that is. And they're like, well, who's that? And I'm like, okay, you don't understand how indigenous politics works or the Indian Reorganization Act. But Joe Biden is our second president. We already have one. Yeah. But, you know, I was going to say recently, you know, in recent years, we've actually seen a surge in Native American political engagement. I don't know if that's partially because... Um, Joe Biden has brought, you know, Deb Holland into the mix. But um, even the 2020 U.S. election saw record Native American voter turnout in key states. So this surge is a clear message that Native Americans are not just um, passive observers of American politics. They're active participants and they help to shape policies and outcomes, especially I, I always think about you know, we, we need to get Native Americans out there voting because, you know, they impact things like environmental issues and things like That's that. Right. And so, you know, it's just it's so difficult. You know, they're even polling stations, you know, a lot of uh, indigenous communities don't have traditional addresses. So you can't get an identification to be able to vote. You know, so the system is set up to to deter, you know, indigenous people from voting. So how do we fix that? How do we we remedy that? I think well, you mentioned it also, by the way, Julie, uh, about voter please. ID, the the, the mm -hmm. attack on indigenous people, because she's right. We didn't we would have tribal IDs, but they wouldn't be they wouldn't have addresses on them. And so right. there was a while there that the Republicans specifically in where my reservation is in South Dakota, they were trying to require that indigenous people, any native who wants to go and vote, say they go into Rapid City, has to have an address on their ID. But for decades, we didn't have it. We just had our tribal ID. And so they were like, well, they were turning natives away in a way of voter suppression. They were like, nope, you Indians have to have an address on your ID. And you're like, when did that start? And they're like, right now. It's how it's always been. It's how it's always been. I mean, yeah. we talk all the time about gerrymandering and about voting ID laws and how they're designed not just to keep black folks from voting, but to keep lower income people who might not have an official government ID to say nothing of young people who might only have a college ID. And I, I was heartened about six weeks ago when we saw in North Dakota, a federal judge ruled that the state's legislative districts violated Section two of the Voting Rights Act by deliberately systemically diluting Native American voting strength. There was a federal lawsuit from the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians and the Spirit Lake tribe. And they said the legislative redistricting plan completely illegally packed one sub-district with a supermajority of Native Americans and then put the rest of them into other districts deliberately to dilute the vote and give them as little power as possible. Now, this is going on all the time. I mean, all the time in every state, they're constantly trying to do it. But it was amazing to see in South North Dakota, rather, of all places, a little bit of legislative justice on this. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, you know, the other thing, too, many Native American communities are located in remote areas far, far, far from the nearest polling station. So, you know, this means that some individuals have to travel long distances to vote, which can both be time consuming and not only that, but it's costly. You know, a lot yeah. of indigenous people don't have disposable income to use to get out there to, to vote. And this lack of accessibility is not just a matter of inconvenience, but it is, you know, a barrier that actively disenfranchises a significant portion of the Native American population. So it's been an issue for forever, but, you know, nobody really talks about it because, again, we're other. We don't, you know, we don't appear in any of the CNN polls. We're just sort of right. otherized. And so that's, yeah. In the geographic and, isolation in and of itself, too. And, and then, again, fucking it. November. November. It. It's like there's so much snow up on my res in South Dakota. And because of that geographic isolation, a lot of them just say, look, we can't make it. We don't have the money. We don't have the means. And the state and those Republicans up there, they lean into that. They're like, hey, man, yep. there's only, if it's a big dump of snow, there'll be fewer Indians coming up this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. And it's all by design. And it all oh, yeah. works that way consistently. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they deliberately will use the weather. Now, this would seem to be in a sane society an argument why we need mail-in ballots, right? The big COVID argument. When everyone had a mail-in ballot, we made it much easier to vote. What happened in 2020? Much higher civic participation in elections, which is exactly what Republicans don't want to have happen. Right. Right. But, I, but as, as you guys point out, though, getting getting mail in ballots to everybody living on a reservation is a whole different logistical challenge. Yeah. 
And it depends on the reservation, right? Some reservations, of course, uh, even here in New Mexico, they're, you know, they're pretty close to Albuquerque. Mine isn't on Pine Ridge. You have to go all the way up to Rapid City. You know, it's like one road in, one road out. And so if, you know, if there is something, even just a, a big snowstorm or if a truck falls over you know you can't get to these locations and so even with mail-in ballots that's that's what i mean one road in one road out out. even if and if you can't get the ballots out of off the reservation then you're screwed there too and again you're right this is what republicans lean into this is what they want they want to make sure that and especially when it comes to indigenous people in certain areas and in certain fights they're like let's let's see what we can do with these indians this time because they won't put polling places on a reservation they're like well you got to come up here and so we have to organize and we have to caravan and try to get as many of us up there as possible but you know what? That's also a great point you've made on the show in the past, which yeah. is, and, you know, native voters don't have to just travel really far to vote, but also in some cases to, to access the mail. Mail isn't delivered to a lot of mm-hmm. homes in the community. And so drop boxes are essential if you want citizens living on a reservation to be able to vote. And we know how much the Republican Party hates drop boxes now. Yeah. And I think, you know, these issues are further compounded by historical distrust between Native communities and government institutions, alongside a lack of targeted voter education and outreach in these communities. So the result is a systemic suppression of the Native American vote. And, you know, this is, I think, what what we're seeing. And we, you know, as Simon and I were saying, like, this has been um, an issue for forever, you know, in Indigenous communities. Mm. I want to ask you guys about Klee Benali. Am I saying his name correctly? Mm. Yep. Um, Klee you Benali are. was a, a Navajo man who was an activist for indigenous issues. And he has just left us, uh, sadly, in Phoenix at the very young age of 48. Obviously, he's someone that you guys probably both know about who doesn't have a lot of national press. No, but he was very well known throughout Indian country. He was he was. Uh, always involved with something. And when I was living in Washington, D.C., and we were fighting the name of the Washington football team, uh, he was always making the flyers. When we were doing things at Standing Rock, he always had his finger on something and doing something locally. He was in Phoenix. He was fighting against um, uh, mascots in in that direction. He was always about cleaning up the uranium uh, that they had taken off of the Navajo Nation. And he was just very strong enough fierce friend but he never stood in front of the camera he 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 would on occasion if they asked him to as a responsibility to our communities but he was always that unsung hero that you knew Klee was involved in one form or another very strong indigenous man a lovely man we don't know how he passed we just everybody just we're in shock that he's gone and it's a big loss to us as activists yeah and you know he grew up on the navajo he grew up on the navajo nation and he saw, you know, the raw deal that indigenous communities often get. And so, you know, instead of just, you know, talking about it or complaining about it, you know, he really blasted his message through. Some of you might know this, but he was in a punk band uh, that mixed right. uh, traditional Navajo tunes into sort of rebel anthems. And it was called, uh, his band was Blackfire. And, you know, he's not just, I always believe that, you know, he wasn't just fighting for, indigenous rights, but he was battling for the planet. You know, he was um, battling for sacred spots that that uh, we're all losing. And for that, you know, I, I always appreciated um, uh, he, him and his work and uh, his music and just his activism. And I always really looked up to him. And uh, it's just really sad for uh, not just indigenous people, but for for, you know, others as well. So he was he was an anarchist, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what his writing was about. It was more or less, I mean, he was, uh, what I did like about him, especially with his writing, was that he was he, he didn't pull any punches. You know, if it was a bullshit or a lie, he'd call it a bullshit and a lie. Yeah. And he could do it so yeah. eloquently to tell you how this is a lie and how this is bullshit. Or that how you've been conditioned to see something or believe in something that isn't true. And he, yeah. it, so it was one of those when people would listen to, to Klee, if you could say anything, bring any subject, Christopher Columbus, you know, the, that shitty Abraham Lincoln, and he'll tell you why indigenous people hate Abraham Lincoln. And then people go, oh, shit, really? And he goes, yes, yeah. 
that is why. And so we've lost a strong voice. And as indigenous people, especially as those who go to the front line and fight, I mean, we have we're far and few between and we can't we can't lose any. And then when you lose somebody like Klee, you feel that emptiness. You know, it's like standing on the battlefield and then that one person that was right next to you is no longer there. And you feel that that negative space. Yeah, I've been reading his I've been reading his quotes all day, learning more about him. And, you know, as a force, we defend, protect and take the initiative to strike. Indigenous anarchism presents the possibility of attack. It is the embodiment of anti-colonial struggle and being. I mean, wow. He he also said famously, yeah. this was a more famous quote, the land holds trauma. The land also holds rage. This was a really incredible loss. And and is it true that he was, yeah. in addition to being an activist and an author and in a band, he, he, he also designed video games? Is that true? Mm-hmm. Multi-talented. I mean, again, yeah, indigenous people, yeah. indigenous yeah. people are super talented. I mean, I know people know that Julie's an artist, you know, and I was in a band for like 10, 15 years. I still write mm-hmm. music on, you know, we, we have our obligations and we have our duties, but then there are things we do on the side that maybe it doesn't make it out there because people really enjoy listening to our activism, to our, our resistance. But mm-hmm. he had so many elements to him. But again, he was one of these hum- uh, humble people that never really wanted that praise. He just knew that if there was a bullshit or if there was some lie, mm-hmm. he was going to come out and call it out. Yeah, it's really yeah. true. And I found it fascinating how he, he protested fake snow in Flagstaff because it was <laughs> on a sacred mountain, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his, you know, his work um, often addressed the impacts of colonialism and the importance of resisting oppressive systems. And, you know, in his writing, he he often highlighted the need to challenge and dismantle the structures of colonialism and capitalism, emphasizing the, the critical role of direct action. And that was what he did. He was a person that, you know, took direct action. He didn't just sit around, you know, sort of talking, writing about it. He really did jump in. Um, and I think he talked about you know, he'd sooner be right there in the action instead of, you know, being on stage, you know, singing about it or talking about it and um, the importance of indigenous perspectives and autonomy in these struggles. And so that was just, you know, it's just so sad that he's left us so soon and he's, you know, gone to be with the ancestors. But I believe that, you know, his spirit will will continue to inspire uh, other activists and people. And just to learn about him, I think, is is important for people to understand, you know, his role. I'm grateful to have gotten to learn more about him, and I'm I'm so sorry that he left us at such a a painfully young age. Yeah. Guys, we have a bunch of listeners who want to call and uh, and and weigh in and ask you guys some questions. Are you up for talking to a few of our evil army of the night? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Mark in South Dakota is on line four. Mark, thanks for your patience. You're on with Simon and Julie. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? Sure can. All right. Good. Day. Hey, uh, love this segment. Love uh, just uh, another one of the OG fans, I guess. <laughs> I had a couple Thank you. questions for Simon, and I figured might as well just lead with the frivolity. Okay. Uh, so if they ever get around to making like a Pixar movie or whatever, who would you cast in the roles of Magpie and Slim Runner? You know, I honestly, uh, <laughs> I have no idea who those people are. I mean, I'm not a Pixar <laughs> kind of guy. Can you tell us who that is, and then maybe I can answer that for you? Oh, no, it's just the Disney movies, you know, like, because you know, it's a children's kind of story and based on... yeah. You may have to explain it to like the audience about like what the hell I'm talking about, but you know you might have to explain it to us. Yeah, yeah. Who who were the characters? You who were the characters that you just referenced? Slim Runner and Magpie. Yeah, who are the who are the yeah. characters? Where would we know the characters from? Oh, it's uh, it's a Lakota tale. Oh, I'm, s- I'm sorry. Are you? That's why I, I okay. I see. I, okay. Simon. I see what you're referencing. The one thing, if we're going to talk about Disney, I'm going to. Immediately, I mean, when as soon as you said Disney, I just like I got a knee jerk reaction. Um, I don't think they're the best organization or company to uh, tell indigenous stories, uh, especially with like if you look if you anybody who has Disney Plus, you can go and watch certain movies right now, and there will be a, that this may be racially insensitive. And this was in front. This was before Dumbo. Um, there was a couple other movies, but not with Pocahontas. Right yeah. with Pocahontas, there was no warning that this was going to be racist, and so again, it, I, I understand that you know everybody loves Disney, but look at Peter Pan—that is extremely Peter racist. Peter Pan is toward indigenous- shocking. My child has never seen Peter Pan because that scene is so shocking, and it's still in the movie. Yeah, 
and if we can stay away from having Disney or even Pixar telling indigenous stories, because again, and I've mentioned this before in the show, is that a lot of people don't know how to honor us yet. And they don't know how to include indigenous people in storytelling, whether if it's a story that's completely fiction or a story that comes from indigenous uh, storytelling mythology. People don't know how to do that yet. So be very weary when somebody says, well, we're going to tell a Native American story. Make sure indigenous people are involved. And I mean, significantly. Yeah. Thank you. Once one story that uh, or film that I think is really um, a good version of an indigenous story is Brother Bear. Mm -hmm. So if you if you're able to, to to take a look at that story, they actually had some Inuit people watch the film and give their review of it. And um, it's a beautiful story. So if you get a chance, that would be one that I would recommend. Brother Bear. Right it on. came out a number of years ago. But Mark, do you have any other questions? Oh, okay. And I should clarify. I was just, I wasn't saying specifically Disney. I was just figuring it's, Right. If somebody made the movie and given the content that it would, you know, be like, a, you know, an animated sort of thing. So I just kind of threw out Pixar. But I mean, I, I would love to I would love to see that, by the way. I would love to see more uh, uh, indigenous oh. stories and legends and yeah. mythology made into big Hollywood films if it had the right, you know, it was sourced by the right creative people who were qualified to tell these stories. Absolutely. And I was thinking, like. I was maybe there is a like what if uh, episode they're telling it or something, but uh. hmm. I'm sorry, Julie. There is a what if episode. I think it's episode six. And that actually is done all in uh, the Mohawk language. Oh, that's right. I haven't seen it yet. I look forward to seeing it. I love that show. Mark, anything else? Well, this is actually the more serious one. Uh, Please. Uh, so, okay. So uh, you've had uh, like a number of callers that, uh, kind of mentioned like uh, I forget the guy's name but they mentioned that the number one thing that they want like on the Ogallala reservation is they don't want is that you know uh, is that they need, just need jobs and that's you know kind of a part of the thing with the poverty and feel free to check me on this immediately if this is just a dumb colonizer logic sort of thing but did the everyone out there that has no idea where this is or just the sheer scope of it uh, like the the reservation that he's referring to is a landmass that's basically the size of Connecticut. And so obviously it's very sparsely populated and so forth. And I don't know that this would be within, you know, native things or, and obviously I don't know the number one logical hole that I keep coming to is where the original money for this comes from, but would it be within uh, the, I guess, ethos of the tribe or whatever to use at least maybe start with the buildings you have, but go completely all in on putting solar panels on everything you have and then having that as an income source for them. Uh, and so, and like say, send whoever you can to like a, you know, nearby, you know, trade college, you have teach them how to install and maintain and all this and just kind of have that as just a thing because to be honest, I can see you've given this a lot of thought, man. You've given this a lot of thought. I, I have because I've, I've considered, you know, if I ever got into a position of power within the state that I could maybe open up the money for that, that's something I would consider doing with some of the representatives from that area. But I, it's just, if this is a dumb idea, I'll nip it, I'll, you know, I'll dip, nip it in the bud. If, no. I'm, I'm going to ask Simon it's... because he's familiar with this and he knows I, I'm not even going to sure. try to, I'll, sure. I'll take his advice. So. Sure, yeah, thank man. you. I mean, it's not a bad idea. It really isn't. But we also have to understand, you said you, you go through the state. Well, it, we're a separate sovereign nation. We have a treaty with the United States government and we live on what's called trust land, which means if you live on the reservation, you live on my reservation and you want to install a roof, you can't just do that on your own. You have to go through the feds. And that is the same thing that happens with uh, that's why casinos are allowed on reservations, but you just can't, you know, build a casino anywhere else. It's also why some tribes are allowed to have uh, dispensaries if they want that. But on some other reservations like mine, for example, we, the state of South Dakota, said, if you start even a pot business 
and in, uh, you know, start growing weed on the res, we're going to send the feds in and they're going to rip out all of the roots of every plant because you had to smuggle it through our state to get it onto your reservation. So mm. understand that on our reservation, there's so many limitations for all you Americans who just own your own home. And if you own a home, God bless you. But uh, you can do whatever you want to your house. It's your house. But if you're on if you're on the reservation, you are on trust land. That means it's owned by the United States government. And then if you want to do anything, if you want to build a ditch or a moat around your house, you have to go through the feds. You can't right. just do it. So even right. just trying to put some solar panels at something as simple and obvious as that, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. We still are on trust territory. It's still our land. It's our ancestral land. It's our reservation that was founded as a prison camp, number 334. But we still have to go through the feds to even put something as simple as that on a roof. Yeah. Julie? There are a few um, um, solar projects actually out there on a, a variety of reservations. I think there's one on in Nevada, the Chukwala Solar Projects, mm-hmm. and there's also Navajo Nation Solar Initiatives. So there's a few. I, I'm again, um, I didn't hear part of the call, but I did pick up on that. So I know that there are a few that are. Uh, oh, there's also a Gila River Indian Community. Um, that's partnered with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to install solar panels uh, as well. So, I mean, I think it's a good idea. But as Simon said, it's not as simple as as it may it may seem. Right on. Hey, thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. Guys, can you stay with us uh, till after the break? Because when we come back, I, I'd like to talk to you since Christmas just ended about what a, a potlock is, a potlatch is rather. That's a term that I think uh, more people should know about because I consider it to be far closer to what Christmas really means than capitalism. Can you stay with us? Do one more break? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. We'll be right back in just a moment with your calls and with Simon and Julie. This is Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. We are joined by Simon Moya-Smith and Julie Franchella for uh, what's become everybody's favorite segment. It's so good to have you guys with us. Let me get one call in really quick. Brian in Oregon, you're on with Simon and Julie. Hey. Thanks for your patience. Welcome. Hi, you guys. Um, what a great uh, chit-chat. Um, what I was going to point out is uh, for another tick in Biden's uh, native uh, corner is, uh, or indigenous people's corner, is that as far as I heard was he appointed a Native American, the first federal Native American judge. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I can't mm-hmm. remember. I think I think she was a, well, she, I think it was a woman. I can't remember what her name was. Mm-hmm. But and the it, first cabinet uh, member, too. First cabinet member. Oh, of course, Deb Hollins. I love Deb Hollins. Yeah. Um, from New Mexico. That's um, right. mm-hmm. But anyways, so uh, I think that needs to be uh, if <laughs> anyways, as part of uh, people voting thought on the reservation uh, as a step towards not necessarily writing the evils and god awful stuff that went on, but acknowledging the humanity of uh, of your people. I mean, that's I mean, the hope, right? That people will yeah. see us as humans and understand that they're, you know, these facts. Even you know, when Joe Biden does something like that, uh, appointing a female, an indigenous female judge, that is significant to us. But a lot of people, when it comes to natives, they don't know that there's still a lot of firsts out there that we haven't mm-hmm. really covered yet. I mean, exactly. it was just recently. Not only what was it, just a couple of years back, that it was Deb Holland. And then, oh, what's her name, Davis, who were elected. And these were the first mm-hmm. indigenous women. And, of course, we had to go up against all the Republicans. We're like, well, what about Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> and so <laughs> there are things that, that happen that are so significant to our communities um, oh. that other people don't really see. But you're not wrong. It's, yeah. it, it was significant that, that he did that. But whether or not that's going to galvanate indigenous people to run to the polls, I'm not oh, too no, sure. I, 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 it's a fantasy of mine, but I wouldn't. Project that fantasy on anybody else. <laughs> right on. Okay. Thank you, man. Thanks for the call. Appreciate right, it. Have a good one, Brian. We are at 866-997-GRIT. So I had to ask you guys about the potlatch ceremony. I will admit that I'm not very familiar with it, but to me it sounds like something much more in line with the actual values of Christmas Day than get, 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 while the getting's good. Julie, can you tell us what the ceremony is? So there is a potlatch ceremony 
um, that basically it's about redistribution of wealth. And so it's a deep rooted tradition that exemplifies the spirit of many indigenous cultures. So if you can imagine a world where if you express admiration of an object, that object is immediately offered as a gift to you, where the joy in someone's eyes becomes the reason for generosity. So this is the essence of many native philosophies where giving is not just an act, but really a way of life. It's a worldview. So it teaches us that things don't matter, that connections to people matter. And I, I just want to say um, before I tell you a little bit about the potlucks. My mother embodied this spirit. And I remember if someone admired something that she had, um, she would offer it as a gift immediately. And I remember as a kid seeing her slide a ring off of her finger and give it to a lady who admired it once. I remember her taking wow. a sweater off of her back. Um, I remember my dad caught this salmon and it was big and, and this, this Portuguese woman came up to my mother and she was saying, oh, that's a big salmon. It's, you know, in my, in my you know, country, we make all these dishes. And my mother, to my father's dismay, offered the salmon to this woman and just gave it to her. And this is what, uh, it, it's a tradition. Um, it's a way of looking at the world. It's a way of being in the world. And it sounds almost mythical in today's materialistic world. And it's deeply embedded in our cultural practices. And notably, as you said, the potlatch, and that was um, integral to many indigenous cultures. And basically it was the redistribution of wealth and yeah. wealth and property, which was seen as contradictory to the capitalist ethos of uh, accumulating wealth. And <laughs> like so most of what the, Jesus talked about, but go on, please. Yeah. The opposition to the potlatch ceremony by the government and various missionaries was partly rooted in its contrast to capitalist values. They outlawed the potlatch ceremony. The government banned it in Canada. It was also banned in the United States. And it was against the law to have a potlatch ceremony. And it wasn't, I think it was 1951, where they finally lifted the ban uh, in Canada. And I think it was in the late 30s in the United States. But it basically is the essence of being connected to other people and into valuing people over, you know, things and wealth. My friend, Jean Braverock, uh, who's an actor, you might know him from Wonder Woman and uh, Dark, Dark Winds. Yes, yes. We were, we, we were explaining this to a, a, a non-Native person once and he, he thought it was beautiful, but Gene and I were joking about, do you remember when you were a kid and you would be careful of what you put on because... If you if you put something on that you really loved, knowing that it might be given away if somebody admired it, and that oh, was I see. it's funny, but yeah, it speaks to the it speaks volumes about the ingrained practice of generosity in our culture. You know, it was just given yeah. that oh, you know, you don't get connected to things or attached to things because they're just things. My God, so, Simon, it just drives home more and more how you know First Nations morality is so much more in line with the teachings of Christ than the capitalist system mm -hmm. we've all been born into. Yeah, I mean, indigenous ideology is beautiful. I mean, across the board, I mean, from giving of yourself, but also we didn't have this idea of, quote unquote, wealth the way white people did. And then also the idea of, you know, land as something that you can own. We didn't believe that you can own the land and we didn't believe that you can own water. And now you can own land, water and even air. Uh, and yeah. so it just baffles us that this is how people really view the world. And then again, I mentioned this to you before they came over and they were freaking out about gold. Right. The gold rush, the 49ers and how awful that was to indigenous people and how they treated indigenous people, especially in places like California, Northern California, where they discovered gold. And we were just watching them mutilate each other, brutalize each other for a, a, this rock, the color of piss. And we didn't understand because they That's couldn't right. eat it. They couldn't do anything with it. They just they held it there and then they would go maniacal. And, you know, they, they would gnaw on their mother's shoulder just to get to some gold. So uh, it's, it's a different in ideology. I really encourage people to, yeah, just continue to listen to this show. But also it's a way for people to understand how different we are from Western right ideologies. Guys, I'm so grateful for this segment. I spent the whole Christmas break having people tell me how much they love it. Thank you both so much. Really quick in our final seconds. Julie, how do our followers follow you? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Julie Francella. And Simon? 
Yeah, on Twitter at Simon Moya Smith and on Instagram at Simon Said Take a Pick. You guys are the best, and I'm so happy to see you again. Happy New Year. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugel saying keep it tuned to SiriusXM Progress. Peace.